Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside Indy Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football, recruiting, and more for InsideIndySports.com on the Rivals Network. The Irish are back from Dublin with a season-opening win over Navy, in which graduate transfer quarterback Sam Hartman threw for four touchdowns. He became just the third Notre Dame quarterback to throw four touchdown passes in his debut, joining Ron Paulus and Jack Cohn. Before we turn our attention to this weekend's Tennessee State game, we wanted to discuss Hartman and his performance further, so we invited Chad Greer, who coached Hartman in high school, back onto the podcast. Chad, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Chad, what was it like to to watch Sam wearing a Notre Dame uniform? Surreal. I mean, just, you know, that's the uh, that's the brand of all brands in college football and the tr- tradition and history, and to go play it in, in Dublin, I mean, good gracious. Um, yeah. Just kind of incredible. Uh, really felt surreal. I was actually watching film uh, in the other room, and um, I'd had it set to record and had it on, and, and I heard it, and I couldn't help myself, man. I just I, had, I couldn't wait to watch it. And, um, man, just so proud of him. I mean, not not surprised at all, though. Chad, what's what's next for him? I mean, he ha- he has learned a new offense got used to a new offensive coordinator, new quarterbacks coach, and and I think made it look easy. And we've seen some of the growth process, so it hasn't all been right turns and green lights for him while he's growing. But but what's maybe the next step for him? What do you expect this year to look like for him? I think a lot more of what you saw Saturday. I mean, he's uh, he's such a hard worker. He's fiercely competitive. He's um, smart. His football IQ is off the charts. I mean, he just – I think what he just did is he's proven to everybody uh, that plays on Sundays that, you know, he's capable of doing that. I mean, he can, he can learn the system. He can adapt. He can win in a locker room. He's a leader. He can make every throw. I mean, he, he's that guy. Chad, what is the – NFL's hesitancy with him. I mean, what what would push him down from not being a guy that's regarded as one of the better prospects? Is it just a matter of size? I, I have no idea. I don't okay. think anymore. <laughs> there's, there's too many guys that have you know broken the size myth already. Or, you know, broken through that ceiling. I mean, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with his size. I mean, he's solid, and he he's got there, there's. I, I can't imagine why he wouldn't be thought of as a, a very high pick and very valuable part of somebody's team on Sunday. Chad, I, I saw Sam Hartman and looked like he was smiling after the, the first couple of passes he threw in the game. Is that is that typical Sam, or is that a reflection yeah. of how he's feeling to be playing football at Notre Dame? Well, it's probably both, but that's definitely <laughs> you know he's he loves playing the game. He has fun and he's hilarious. I mean, he's. Uh, I don't even remember watching old Andrew Luck stuff like when he was mic'd up and somebody mm-hmm. hit him and Andrew would pat him on the butt and tell him how great he was. That that's Sam. I mean, he says the most silly stuff to these guys in the middle of a game. It just but he just has fun, man. It, it, that's what makes him so fun to watch. He's fiercely competitive, but he's having fun. You know, Chad, I had a chance to sit down with him one on one this summer, and he was really open in that interview. Um one of the things I thought was really neat, I know he wants to improve his NFL stock, but I think what surprised him was how interested he became in Notre Dame lore, how he wanted to change history or be a part of history. Did do you sense that when you've had conversations with him? You know, I'll be honest with you, I haven't had a lot of conversation with Sam, and okay. certainly not 
about those kind of things. But he he's um, you know, I, I think I I put something on social media. He liked it this morning. <laughs> I just you know, but I, I mean, I'm like a uh, I tell his dad all the time. I, I mean, I don't want to claim him on taxes, but I want to claim him. I mean, I, I feel like um, I, I love him my own. I just uh, follow him and. Love the stuff he puts out. Love the stuff. I mean, I see the, the NIL deals he does and how he handles those with his teammates. That's just so Sam. I mean, he just – I love the fact that with all the uh, attention and accolades and success that he, he's not changed. He's still the same guy, and that's pretty cool to see. Chad, what, what do you think it means that Sam was able to come into Notre Dame and not just obviously earn the starting job? That was sort of what people figured would happen, but to be named a captain and sort of – earn that leadership responsibility from a team that he just joined uh, eight months ago. He's just such a servant leader. I mean, it does not surprise me at all. I mean, he's just, uh, you know, he, he, every time he's done that, he goes when you like, you know, he, he did that in high school. He, that was one of the things he said. He really, when he came to Oceanside, you know, he felt like it was a, an opportunity to prepare for college where he had to go win a new locker room in a year and, and prove that, you know, earn their respect and prove that he's a team first guy. And he did that clearly at Oceanside. And he clearly did that the next year awake when he was the starter as a freshman. And now he's done it again at Notre Dame and he'll do it again on Sunday somewhere. He's just, um, I think that the best thing people can do to Sam is, is doubting, you know, go ahead, you know, wait, wait till it, it'll happen. It'll be happen this year at some point. Uh, mm -hmm. God forbid he'll throw an interception or a bad ball or something will happen. And, People doubt him, and that's when he's his, when he's his best. I mean, he'll he'll prove everybody wrong. Oh, he'll you prove know, all the doubters wrong. He's got plenty to believe in him. He'll prove the doubters wrong. <laughs> he um, he mentioned some things that he thought were turning points in his career during his college career. But I'm wondering if you felt like the Oceanside experience, how that worked into the fabric of who he is for both of you. I mean, that was a I don't want to say it was a big risk, but I mean, you look at your record, you go to a place that hadn't won a game in like three years, and then he comes with you. Um, yeah. Can you can you put that into perspective, what that experience was like for both of you? Well, man, there's a lot to that. I would say that um, just from my side of it, you know, Oceanside is still having a lot of success right now since we've both been gone. And mm -hmm. that's because of Sam Hartman, in my opinion. I mean, it, that doesn't happen without him. Uh, the success we had when I was there happened because he came and showed the kids there how to work and, and how to prepare and how to compete. And he did it with um, – and I think he knew going in that it was going to have to be this way. It was just like when I was coaching my son at, at a startup program. And, you know, you just um, – you hold them to a, the whatever the standard is. You hold them to a higher standard than that, and it's um, and it was hard sometimes. Like I'm sure because I, I was really critical of him. I got after him pretty hard, but I think that when the kids saw that and he was humble enough to accept it, embrace it, it made it easier for me for the next three years to get on anybody and and demand the best out of everybody else. They saw that Sam humbled himself and did that and responded, and then they in turn responded. So the program was better because of him and what he did, not just on the field, but how he handled everything. And speaking of handling things, how did you feel when he said yes to the QB1 thing? I realized that um, I don't think it started playing until he was a freshman at Wake Forest, but still having the cameras on you all the time and that kind of stuff, what was, what was going through your mind when he said yes to that and, and then how he handled it? I mean, I, 
it just wasn't that big a deal. I thought at first, I was like, yeah, it's cool, man. I mean, and, and you know, who better? I, I just believed in him so much and saw what he'd been through at Davidson Day, what he'd accomplished at Davidson Day. I just thought it was a great choice to pick Sam. And then I think what I didn't really, what I underestimated was, man, you're mic'd up from seven o'clock in the morning to seven o'clock at night and how intrusive it is without being intrusive. You don't realize you, sometimes you, after a couple of weeks, you just forget that you're mic'd up. And so everything you say is being recorded. <laughs> so, uh, and, you know, and Sam had to do it not only at school and at practice, but at home and, you know, for his um, homecoming dance. I mean, you know, everything that, you know, that, that was a lot on him. And, but again, like everything else, he just handles it in stride and, and, and made a great representation of himself and his family and, and all of us at Oceanside. Chad said Sam was asked and will continue to be asked to do some different things at Notre Dame than he was at Wake Forest. A lot, a lot of that um, coming from just playing under center and different play action looks out of that. What do you think has allowed him to make that transition so smoothly? He's just a, a football junkie and is going to work hard at, anything that he's asked to do. And you know, he, he was under center some in high school. We used to practice footwork from under center every day. And, you know, I've always said that, you know, we'll use it a little bit, but at some point, if you make it to Sundays, you're going to do it. And that's just something we've always, I think under center footwork translates to gun and not vice versa necessarily. So I think he already had a, a flavor of that. And he's so, um, you know, he, he's developed himself and worked himself into being a really good athlete. And so I think he can do anything that's asked of him, any style of play, his football IQ is so high and his, his toughness and uh, just ability to stand in a pocket or, or move now. I, mean, I think he can do anything. So I, I just, you know, obviously you can tell, I think pretty highly of the kid, but <laughs> I, I, I think that uh, I think he's earned that. And I, I think people that, that underestimate him are, are in for a rude awakening. Well, the, the, one of the things that really impressed me in a game situation, we don't see it as much in practice because they're not calling plays is his ability at the line of scrimmage to slide protections, to check out of a bad play, um, to be able to read a blitz and know where to go with the ball. I mean, was he, I don't want to say at that level in high school, but was he advanced in high school at being able to manipulate things at the line of scrimmage? Yeah, I mean, to certainly as well as anybody in high school does. He called protections, he made cadence calls, he made – um, coverage recognition. I mean, he identified all that is is pre-snap. You know, every snap. So certainly not as as complicated as as necessarily changing protections, but he was identifying and calling the protection at the line based on what we were trying to get into. And um, you know, had we needed to, to change stuff, I, I no doubt he could have done it then. But it does not surprise me at all. He's very adept at doing it now. Chad, I think one important thing that isn't necessarily going to be measured on the field this season that Sam Hartman has the opportunity to do is sort of help along some young quarterbacks that could be given the keys to the offense next season. How do you think he will do in that role, and why would you think he would maybe succeed in that? I think he'll be terrific at it because he's truly a servant leader. That's what his heart is. That's how he's been raised. You know, he's got great parents and uh, support at home and his brother and he just I mean Sam's just a, a selfless guy he's a he's definitely a team first human um and I think in this case those guys are pretty lucky because they'll share everything he's not he's not going to be protective over any secrets if there are any I mean he, he's going to share it and, and he's the guy I know he's pulling for Wake Forest and he'll always pull for Notre Dame and he'll he'll help those guys any way he can I see him yeah you know, cut when he's home you know, he, Will and I have a camp. He comes and works the camp. He just, you know, he he just shows up for anything that's 
that's asked where he's able to help somebody else, that's just, he's going to do it. I mean, that's just who he is. I know your son, Will, is older than Sam. Do they have a relationship? Do do they work together, talk, and so forth? Yeah, when when Will was in Charlotte, a lot more so. When Sam was still in Charlotte, his parents had moved to Charleston, you know, full-time. And um, so, you know, Sam's not in Charlotte as much. um, But when Will was here and Sam was here, and Will would come home, uh, you know, Will was playing for the Panthers even, you know, it was just easier to, to get together. Now with Will, Will actually lives in Folly Beach, which is near Charleston. So my guess is those guys might connect down there some going forward. But, um, you know, in the past, you know, they're, they're close and, um, you know, they, they texted and stay in touch on social media, those kind of things. So we're, we're, my whole family, you know, our families are friends. Um, I, I had the co- pleasure to coach both of Sam's brothers um, in multiple sports and, you um, but just uh, think the world of the family, and, and certainly, um, you know, I think that's reciprocated. They've been great to my family, my kids, you know, the whole deal. In fact, one of my favorite stories about Sam was his mom actually fixed my toilet one time. <laughs> well, I heard she's an expert hunter. That's what Sam told me. He goes, you, you used to bring ducks home and for them. That she, she, she's unbelievable. I mean, I, like her gun collection and tool or tool collection is the second to none and she can fix anything and she's a great expert shot. And I think she was an athletic, great, great tennis player, you know, used to joke with Mark that, you know, thankfully for, you know, he, he supported Lisa and, and raising Sam, but um, you know, it was, it was all, all her doing. <laughs> okay. Um, you mentioned, you know, when people doubt Sam, it brings out the best in him. Did you ever doubt him? Did you ever have a reason to doubt him? Or did, was he just walking in the door? You said, I don't care how small this guy is. I like what what's inside. Well, yes and no. I mean, the, the latter, yes. I mean, I, I knew it was inside of him. I've known him since he was a, a little boy. And he just was always this grinder, tough kid that, you know, was going to compete. And you know, always playing two age groups up and, you know, never backing down from a challenge. But, um, you know, I didn't know how good he was going to be or not be when he came in as a freshman or sophomore, I guess, um, you know, he was started fourth. He had to compete with three older guys and we, we did it. You know, he got the fourth reps to start with and it took most of the summer for him to, to really separate fully. And he did, I mean, clearly became the guy, but you know, he wasn't, he didn't have this rocket arm. He wasn't big. He wasn't fast. I mean, he just, but he was an exceptional leader. He, he knew he learned the offense very quickly. He mastered his footwork. He mastered the ability to get the most out of every throw he made. And um, I think it, it might've been one of our first games. Uh, we're playing a, a big public school and he threw a comeback across the field that where he anticipated through it early pressure in his face. I mean, I, when he threw that ball, I remember telling his dad, I said, he's special. He's different. That's not a normal thing for a high school kid to do. And the, um, he was exceptional that game and for the whole year. And then, of course, you, you know the story of all the adversity he had to battle health-wise and everything else. But just every time he gets knocked down, he just comes back, you know, better. Chad, speaking of Mrs. Hartman, one of her latest latest projects was helping turn Sam's removed rib into a necklace. Are you going to get a chance to see that necklace in person? I haven't seen it. I've heard of it. And I saw pictures, and that's um, th- yeah, it's pretty cool. To be honest with you, I think it's really cool. <laughs> not surprised me at all. Chad, when he went through his transfer portal process, I mean, we heard Notre Dame very early, I mean, before he was actually even in the portal, 
but but he had mentioned on the Dan Patrick show the other day that Alabama, Florida, Auburn were interested. I wondered, were you involved in that process with him? Did you help vet that at all? Not really. I mean, I okay. early, very, very, very early in it, uh, had a couple conversations, but um, no, man. I, you know, he had great options. He's got great advice at home. Um, you know, he knows I'm always here if he needs me, but. In that case, I just, you know, I passed along some information. I had people were contacting me, obviously, and, I, you know, and I would just pass it along. And, and we, like I said, we had a couple of early conversations, and Notre Dame was one of them. Um, but the conversation we had really was more about the decision, you know, go to the league now, uh, stay away, go somewhere else, you know, the pros and cons of all that. But, you know, he, he's just – like his, his, his mom's a, a nurse and – well-rounded and smart his dad's a surgeon i mean they're smart people his brother's a you know brilliant guy that you know probably is going to cure cancer one day and you know he's in medicine <laughs> now i mean they, they didn't need a whole bunch of support and help they just you know need to know that somebody loved him and was there for him the last one from me he he's an interesting guy with how he deals with the spotlight at least at notre dame i he's great with the media i don't think he particularly likes to do it a lot but uh he seems to find a happy medium in terms of knowing that he's the face of the program and knowing what his responsibilities are. And yet he seems like a real private guy. Is that the vibe that you get from him? I think he does whatever is required of him to be the, the leader and face of the franchise kind of thing. And and I don't think he does it begrudgingly, but I think if he had his choice, he'd, he'd be on a boat somewhere fishing. Right. <laughs> That's true. I think he's been fishing plenty of times already since moving to South Bend. Um, he's really good at it, to be honest with you. He just took me out <laughs> there often. And, uh, I mean, we hadn't been that long, and, and he, we get out, and he's already got his GPS. has got every every fishing hole navigated and spotted. He just he'd go, he'd drive to one spot, drop in. If he didn't get, he's off the next. And sure enough, we're on a red, you know, no time. I mean, he's he's all about it now. He's good at it. Well, all right, Chad, that's all we have for you today. We really appreciate you taking time to talk to us, and best of luck with your own season moving forward. Appreciate you guys. All right, now it's time for questions. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or the Inside Lounge message board before every podcast. I'm at TJamesND and Eric's at ND. First one I have from us is from Geisha on the Inside Lounge. Should Notre Dame start to think about extending Marcus Freeman's contract with a huge buyout? I understand those with the Charlie Weiss hangover, but Freeman is not hanging on his hat, hanging his hat on a schematic advantage and is playing and developing the young guys. Heck, the Mets are still paying Bobby Bonilla, LOL. Well, that LOL, I didn't realize they were still paying Bobby Bonilla. I want, I knew it went way into the future. Um, the, the thing about the Weiss hangover, it was amplified. You know, and, and we heard about it every year that he was getting a payment. Um, it was amplified by the fact that Notre Dame didn't include an offset in the buyout, which is something that's pretty standard. And Charlie and I have talked about it, and he said he would have agreed to. Uh, now that they didn't put it in there, he wasn't going to give the money back. How an offset works is if you get fired and Notre Dame owes you money, then you get another job or jobs, then that subtract what Notre Dame owes you is subtracted by what from what you're making. So Charlie was an offensive coordinator at Kansas City. He was an offensive coordinator at Florida. He was the head coach at Kansas. So all that would have cut into that 18.9 million buyout. Um, now let's talk about Marcus. So he's 15 games into his regime. 
I just don't see that there's a pressing reason to extend him right now. And it's not like, um, again, if he's got an offset, it's not, you know, the, the worst thing in the world, uh, to, to get out of a contract. Um, and I also think at this point in Marcus's career, there's not a lot of jobs that would interest him other than Notre Dame that would tempt him other than maybe Ohio state. And I'm not sure that he would take that job, but they have a, um, certainly at this point, they have a coach right now and Ryan day, uh, Marcus has six kids. They seem pretty settled. His son Vinny is in high school. You know, it's not a negative recruiting tool that other teams use. Say, hey, Marcus isn't going to be there forever. He's only under contract for three and a half more years. So I would wait. Yeah, I I'm in the wait category too. I mean, it is like let's let's uh imagine a world where Ohio State does want to hire Marcus Freeman. Um, and Marcus Freeman wants to go. Is is there a number that Ohio State wouldn't be willing to pay? Probably not. Like I think, like Ohio State of all places, they're going to find the money to make it happen, right? I mean, if that's if that's what we're looking at, if you're if you're finding a way to try to keep someone here, um, I don't know that Notre Dame's going to be able to do that. Um, so I, I don't know what the race would be to sort of prevent him, um, from getting out of the contract or wanting to leave. Uh, so I think I think you wait. Um, I think it's certainly too early to um figure that out now maybe if the season goes really well at the end of the season you want to consider that i think that might be worth looking into but um i i think it's i think you're probably getting ahead of yourself a little bit and and i will say this i mean and just haven't had a chance to talk to joanna marcus's wife um when they were making the decision between um, LSU with Ed Orgeron, not not the second time that Brian Kelly offered him the job or mm-hmm. offered him an LSU opportunity, but Ed Orgeron or Brian Kelly in Notre Dame, the South Bend community really factored into one of the things that pulled them toward Notre Dame. So I would not underestimate that, at least at this point. Maybe when the kids are older. All right, next question is from at Charles W. Wolf. What did you see in week one that you think will transfer back stateside? Um, I think the efficiency of the offense, um, how Hartman was able to deal with blitzes and pressure, slide protections, get out of bad plays, line of scrimmage, some of the things we talked to uh, Coach Greer about, find open receivers. I think the running game will translate that. That was a pretty good Navy run defense. I think the defensive depth translates, though. We're going to see different pieces used, I think, against conventional offenses. But the fact that they were able to rotate so many guys in without losing effectiveness, I think those are some of the things that will show up in the coming weeks. Yeah, I mean, some of them I think are the obvious things, like, Joe Alt and Blake Fisher's dominance. <laughs> um, they played really well. I, I think that's going to continue to happen. Um, Sam Hartman's poise. Uh, the depth at running back, I think that will continue to be shown. I don't know how often Notre Dame's going to be able to get all five running backs a carry, but uh, you would think that would be an opportunity this week, certainly against Tennessee State. Um, and one thing, I, maybe it's being wishful thinking, but just the, a defense that's capable of adjusting and adapting uh, I think was something that was nice to see. 
in the Navy game, and I think we will continue to see some of that. Now, that doesn't mean they're not going to have issues at times, um, but I do think that Al Golden has shown uh, a better understanding of what he can do with the defense that he has and the personality he has and the opponents that they're going against that will allow them to continue to make those kinds of adjustments moving forward. All right, next question is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. Which players surprised you the most on offense and defense during the Navy game? Also, I know Marcus Freeman does not believe in gamers, but it certainly seems that Deion Colsey may be a gamer. Thoughts? Well, let me start with the Deion Colsey part of that question. Um, It's not like he doesn't look good in practice, um, but he certainly rises to the occasion in games. I'll, I'll give you that observation um and and there are certain games you know in, in certain situations third downs or red zone where he seems to rise to the occasion but I, again i think what tamps down Deion colsey's playing time maybe and some of his opportunities just getting seven reps is the fact he plays the same position as Jaden thomas as far as who surprised me in the game the defense is defense was an easy one maris leofal did even though he had been playing well the last couple of weeks of camp that we had witnessed, I still needed to see it in a game to believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still need to see it more than one week to believe it. Uh, but, but he surprised me in the game with how consistent he was and how disruptive he was uh, on offense. It's a harder pick for me. I'll say Jaden Greathouse. Not that I didn't think he would contribute, um, but he was like, you know, the one touchdown, that was a contested catch. And and just the way he used his body so well to shield the defender and was able to uh, pull that touchdown in. So Jaden Greathouse would be my, you know, two touchdowns in your debut. Yeah, that's a bit of a surprise for me. Yeah, it's hard to, it would be hard to predict that that would have happened. I, I went with Colsey as my surprise. Um, I mean, I, the way he scored his touchdown alone, like on a screen, yeah. essentially, like that's not something you thought was in Deion Colsey's like uh, wheelhouse or something that would be a go-to play for Deion Colsey. So for him to get in the end zone on that kind of play um, was surprising. And just the fact that he was so productive in the, in the limited reps that he got was, was a bit of a surprise. So that is certainly a positive thing, whether or not he's a gamer or not. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I think, I think a lot of Notre Dame's receivers have struggled to, consistently show up in the moments they need to in practice um and so i think certainly like jaden thomas isn't in in that considered in that group like jaden thomas is the one that i think is the most trusted and because deon colsey's playing with him it may be hard but they were i mean colsey was playing to the wide side of the field sometimes and and even with tobias merriweather playing to the boundary um in some situations so they're willing to fix figure out ways to get different guys on the field in different formations so if deon colsey continues to produce I think he'll have that opportunity. Um, certainly, they'll, they'd like to see it in practice. But when you get in the season, like games are the most important things you're measured by um, rather than just the practices because you have to go out and perform on Saturdays. Uh, and my surprise on defense was the same as you, Maris Leofau. I, I think um, even though he had a positive preseason camp, I needed to see it to believe it. Um, and I thought that was a, a very good performance for Maris Leofau. I, it's funny because you see some of the things that people – like to give him a hard time about it, like him just running into a guy and taking on a block. But sometimes that his his responsibility. And that was something that Marcus Freeman even talked about. Like the first play you see 
the fullback sort of gets gets the better of Maris Leifau, Um and the fullback was talking some smack to to uh to uh, I guess it wasn't the fullback, it was the lead blocker, but um talking a little bit of smack to Maris Leifau after the play it looked like, but he continued to take on the assignment and put himself in a position to make some tackles as well. All right, next question is from LDL Go Irish on the Insider Lounge. I thought Tobias Merriweather blocked better than he showed on routes. How long before he needs to show receiving production in a game to keep his number of plays he is getting? Well, his run blocking grade was good. He was fourth in the PFF grades behind, pro football focus grades behind Chris Tyree, who only blocked on a couple plays, and then Alton Fisher, and for Tobias, that involved 15 plays, so it wasn't a tiny sample size. Um, he was targeted a couple times in the game. One was a drop, one was an overthrow. You know, Tobias, again, when I interviewed him and just kind of watching him in practice, he's making that mental leap going from kind of a guy that, um, you know, wasn't wasn't a lot expected like everything he does did last year would have been icing on the cake mm-hmm. to being a guy that's really counted on and counted on for big numbers. And so I think once he has a game where he has several catches, maybe some difficult catches, then I think you'll see him catch fire and, and uh, you'll see the progress line start moving again, as far as his receiving goes. Yeah. I mean, I don't think they're going to, pull the plug on the Tobias Merriweather experience quickly. But I I think if he does continue to have lapses where, whether it's drops and other guys are making plays his his playing time will, will be reduced in some ways. Um, But it's just the, the possibilities of what Merriweather can do are, are so tantalizing and so different than what the other guys on his roster offer. Um, that I think he's going to continue to get his opportunities. And um, for Notre Dame's sake and for his sake, you hope that he starts coming through on those. All right, next question is from at Mike Devoy one Deion Colsey certainly made the most of his snaps on Saturday. Really happy for him. He improved down the stretch last season and in training camp, yet only played seven snaps. Is this because he's behind Jaden Thomas, or is the coaching staff still building confidence in him? I think the biggest reason is because he plays the same position as Jaden Thomas, who's wide receiver one, and I think will be wide receiver one all year. Um, You know, we mentioned this on Football Never Sleeps Monday night, uh, that Notre Dame could conceivably move JT around. It sounds like in your rewatch you saw a little bit of that. Um, the, The other question is, once Notre Dame gets away from a defensive scheme that's not so exotic in in terms of their scheme and their pressures. Well, we see more four wide receiver sets that would uh, lead to some opportunities for Deion Colsey. Um, Maybe when they're, you know, Notre Dame just kind of ekes into the red zone. Does that become Deion Colsey time? So there's, there's some situations. If he keeps his production up, Jared Parker's going to find a way to get him on the field. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't do a full count of, how many times Colsey and Thomas were on the field together. I think a lot of times Colsey was on the field. Thomas wasn't on the field, but what was happening, it wasn't always necessarily that Colsey was lining up in the boundary where Jaden Thomas tends to line up. He would line up to the field sometimes as well. So they're, they're going to, they're not, we may talk about them as boundary and field and they are, that's one of the 
keys to what they're doing in terms of where they're most valued, but they're going to move guys to, to different sides and they're going to move guys around, um, move guys in inside and outside. Some, um, I would think Colsey would be a tough guy to move inside. I don't know that he has that sort of versatility in his game, but I also didn't, like I said earlier, I didn't necessarily yeah. see him taking a, a wide receiver screen for a touchdown uh, in the way he did. Now, um, will he, can he do that against better competition? Um, we will see, but uh, I think uh, there's still he still needs to get that confidence in him because if they're extremely confident, they would they would find more more than seven snaps for him. But I mean, they're very confident in Jaden Greyhouse too, and he didn't play that much either. I think you just have to sort of pick your spots and. I mean, you got to remember they weren't coming into this game trying to to throw the ball all over the field because they didn't necessarily need to, and they want to establish the running game as well. Uh, and and the play count was low, um, and it was um, a non-competitive game late in the second half. So I think that changes the way things play out as well. All right, next question is a bit of a long one here from LDL Go Irish on the Insider Lounge. So bear with me. Notre Dame played a good bit against Navy. A good game against Navy, but as always, there are coaching teaching points. A few quick line play tidbits on Jadarian Price's touchdown run. Pat Coogan got away with an obvious hold early in the game. The Navy defensive tackle penetrated to the left side of Zeke Carell. Rocco wasn't sure how to get the double team since the penetration was away from him. He floundered. Coogan was picked off from his pole by the penetration. A few plays later, same or similar play. Penetration to Zeke's left, but not as far. Rocco learned and took a path to that Navy player and pancaked him, then went downfield for another block. Coogan successfully made his pull as the penetration was not as deep. What did you and Eric think about the line play coordination? Is Zeke healed, or will we have a Patterson situation for a few games? Okay, there was a lot there to unpack. So I will start with uh, kudos on the nuanced observations. I don't watch live that closely i mean i'll notice things but not to that depth so i'll take you at your word uh overall the run blocking grades were good to very good alton fisher were the best among the linemen as a group they were better in zone schemes than gap blocking the exception the guy that had the reverse split was rocco spindler he was the opposite um i think given navy's exotic pressures which are hard to prepare for and it's sellout and stopping the run. I thought this was a good first step. And, you know, they'll go over the film. They'll look at the ways that they did see th- see things through one set of eyes, as Mike Golick Jr. likes to say, and the times that they didn't. But I thought more often than not, they did. Um, I mean, Zeke looked healthy out there. We, we didn't ask Marcus about that. Uh, maybe that's something during his Zoom on Thursday. I can circle back and and just get a sense of that. But he was improving every day, so I don't know that that was um, expected to be something that dragged on into the season. So I don't expect that we'll have a Patterson situation with a special shoe and a big pain threshold to to have to work through every game. Yeah, I don't I, I don't think there are necessarily any similarities between the in- injury that Jared Patterson was dealing with and what Zeke Carell is dealing with. Zeke Carell is more of an ankle issue and um Jared Patterson was more of a foot issue um that was certainly serious and I think it was a kudos to Jared Patterson that he could even get himself in a position to play as soon as he did um even if he wasn't necessarily at 100%. 
So I'm not that concerned about that with Zeke Carell moving forward. As for the guards and the and the offensive line, I thought they played well. Um, Navy does a lot of different things, and it's movement right before the snap. It's guys diving into gaps because they're more concerned about filling those gaps off the, at the snap than necessarily finding where the ball's at or um, figuring out what is going on. They're just trying to be disruptive in a lot of different ways, and they'll bring different blitzes from different places and make try to confuse you, do all kinds of stunts. Um, and for the most part, I thought the offensive line handled those things well. There were certain times – where some things fell apart, um, maybe some pass protection issues with a guy coming free. Now, I don't know for certain in all those situations, was that the quarterback's responsibility? Was it the running back's responsibility? Was that one of the linemen's responsibility? There can be a number of different ways that those can be handled that I don't necessarily have the answer to. Um, I thought of, of the two starting guards, I thought Coogan was more up and down. I think he had more, he had, he had a, a bigger share of both like good plays and bad plays. Whereas Rocco, I think was more steady. Now I think some of that had to do with like, they're running a left a lot, which you would do if you had Joe Halt on your offensive line as well. Um, So Pat Coogan was sort of put in the position to make, make some blocks. And um, he did a good job of that sometimes. And sometimes even doing, getting two blocks on guys and other times he um, maybe missed an assignment or fell down. Or, or had a trouble with a guy that was moving away from him and stuff like that. I do, um, as LDL pointed out, that he Pat Coogan probably did get away with a hold on the Jadarian Price touchdown run. Unfortunately, um, Jadarian was through the hole pretty quickly, so I don't think people were paying that close of attention to what was going on there. Um, but uh, he, Pat Coogan gets credit for helping seal a block there because it wasn't called, and that's all that really matters. But obviously that's something that they'll work on, making sure he keeps his hands inside um, to – to prevent uh, refs from having an opportunity to call him for a holding penalty in, in a situation like that. All right. Next question is from at Mike Devoy one Tyler and Eric, great coverage of the opener. I particularly love the late night, early morning video. Did you get to see Aiden Kiana Ina during training camp? He seemed to be size wise an ideal backup tower cross, but it sounds like Donovan Heinish will be the backup comments. Well, thanks for the feedback on the video. I'm not sure if you noticed that I had dusted um, <laughs> so and, and left the lemon pledge in the frame. Uh, so as far as Aiden Kiana Ina, I saw him in, you know, during the practices and stuff. I didn't see him a lot in scrimmage situations. At least he didn't jump out at me when they did do competitive periods against offensive defensive line yeah occasionally maybe i'd say oh there's number 92 um so donovan heinish has seen work at both spots and with rubio out gabe rubio out for two weeks i guess or more um aiden might see some more action um he's a bigger nose guard he's the kind that you typically see in 34 looks and maybe Notre Dame will play some three down this year. Um, so I wouldn't write him off. I don't think he's it had Gabe Rubio been healthy. I don't know that he was on the cusp of seeing a lot of meaningful snaps. And again, Donovan had a really good, um, a really good camp. And even though he's a smaller player, he seems to be good at both spots. So I'm kind of, uh, didn't give you a really clear picture of what you, I think you wanted in that answer, Mike, other than thanking you for the feedback. 
Yeah, I mean, Aiden has the size, but I don't know that we've seen the production from him in in opportunities. I I don't I can't think of anything particularly impressive that he did in preseason camp. Um, now maybe that's just because some of the guys ahead of him were having such stellar camps, right? Um, that by the time he got on there, it wasn't it wasn't as it, I mean he was he was third string at best, um, and we'll see if he gets up to the second string now and get some opportunities to, to rotate in there. Um, we don't know that yet. Uh, I, I think if he can produce, that's the kind of guy you would like to have out there, but if he's not playing to that level, I mean, sizes and everything, you have to go out and, and perform uh, <laughs> and uh, we'll see if he gets those opportunities. But And water skiing isn't everything. We see a lot of water <laughs> skiing videos of Aiden. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, uh, my, I mentioned yesterday on Football Never Sleeps that I think we'll probably see some Jason Anya at nose tackle and Donovan Heinish at defensive tackle. Um, but if they want to give Anya some defensive tackle reps, I think they pro- they there would be an opportunity there for Aiden Kiana Aina to get some nose tackle reps because I think he may be better suited with his size than Donovan Heinish to to hold at the point of attack there. Um, but we'll have to see how how that all sorts of play how that all plays out. Um, I don't think – I mean, I, I like the progression of Donovan Heinish. It's someone that Marcus Freeman has mentioned on multiple occasions of, ha- of having a good camp. I don't know that I saw a ton of things from him either. I think there were a couple even more – even calls him Donnie. There were a couple more flash flashpoints for him than I, than I saw with Aiden. But uh, I think either or one of them is going to get some opportunities moving forward, and especially depending with how long Gabe Rubio is out, um, those could become important reps. Next question is from C.S. Ryan on the Insider Lounge. Besides the obvious, a W and no major injuries, what positives are you looking for this Saturday? Valuable valuable depth depth development, positive turnover margin, clean special teams, et cetera. Yeah, I, I think you gave us some good examples there. Not just depth, but rotational players playing high leverage snaps and playing well. You know, again, not seeing a drop off between the ones and the twos. Um, developing younger players. I think one thing, too, the mental toughness of not taking an opponent lightly, um, and I'm not saying Notre Dame did that necessarily with Marshall, although probably some of that went into that, but we've seen it before with Ball State and Vanderbilt a few years back. So, you know, playing a home game where you take the opponent seriously, even if they seem to be overmatched, Um and I'd always like to see Notre Dame improve in rush offense, pass efficiency, total defense, run defense, turnover margin, the key metrics that good teams are good at. And then the last thing, pass rush. So I came up with a little bit of a list. Um, <laughs> and then the bands need to be good at halftime. Yeah, special teams plays, like getting some important special teams plays, I think would be nice to see. Those are certainly areas where you think Notre Dame should have an advantage. Uh, so having some some standout plays there, and I mean, it doesn't necessarily need to be touchdowns or anything, but uh, some some moments you're like, okay, that's that's a good development for the special teams units. Uh, some more wide receiver action, getting some guys to get some more plays out there. Like, I think we're just going to have to continue to see that throughout the season. Um, I don't know that we're going to be convinced in a major way about what this wide receiver group can be or I guess maybe shouldn't be just until they continue to do that at a consistent level. 
some maybe some more work for the tight ends. We didn't see much of that um, in the first game. Uh, and then Steve Angeli, I think that's something we all want to see some more Steve Angeli and see him get some opportunities to run the offense. Um, so hopefully Notre Dame can build up a lead and isn't afraid to get him in there and let him run some things that he would have an opportunity to do. That's not just handing the football off. All right, next question is from Nathan Reynolds at Enforcers2117. If you had to make a bet for this game, which are you taking? Angeli one and a half touchdowns or Tennessee State scoring more than three points? Well, Tyler forces me to make bets every Thursday on our Place Your Bet segment uh, that runs late in the week, either Thursday or Friday. When does that run, Tyler? Usually Friday morning. Okay, Friday morning. We we tape it Thursday. Um, and this would be a really difficult one. You came up with a harder one than Tyler usually comes up with for me. <laughs> um, you know, you, you wonder if Tennessee State would score because maybe threes and fours playing late in the game. I, but that, you know, Steve Angeli being above one and a half touchdowns, being at two touchdowns, that seems a lot. Um given that the score is probably going to be pretty lopsided when he comes in and attack on a second touchdown. I think Marcus would try to stay away from that. So I'm going to go with uh, Tennessee state um, scoring or scoring more than three points. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm with you on that. I think it's, it, this is a, a good question and a tough answer. I, like who knows what can happen to lead to a touchdown. Like it could be any number of ways you can end up scoring a touchdown, but obviously Steve Angeli, he's only going to get a certain amount of work. So his opportunities to score two touchdowns should be significantly less than Tennessee state's opportunities to score more than three points. Uh, so I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's a good chance that neither of those things happen. I think that's probably the most likely outcome. Yeah. I would agree. Um, but if I had to pick one, I would say Tennessee State scoring more than three points as, as more likely than Angeli throwing for w- more than one touchdown pass. All right. Next question is from Robert Halicki at B Halicki 5859. Tyler, what was your favorite part of the trip? And guys, I have heard mo- where people are saying we should not take too much from Hartman's game and the impact he can have on our season because his numbers were nearly identical to Drew Pines last year. What are your thoughts? Well, I'll let you answer first since he asked about your trip. Yeah, I mean, it was a great trip. Uh, Wish I could have been there longer, but um, I I think the Guinness Storehouse was probably the coolest part. That was every local that I ran into, I said, hey, what do I need to do before I leave Dublin? And uh, almost everyone said the Guinness Storehouse. And so I definitely did that. I actually had intended to do that on Friday because Friday was sort of my free day in, in Dublin. But I woke up Friday morning and everything was already booked. So uh, because the game wasn't until 7.30, I had op- an opportunity to do that on Saturday um, in Dublin. And so that's what I did before the game. And that was a good time to to check out. It's a very expansive sort of walkthrough of how the Guinness brewery was started and its history and its manufacturing and a very cool, very cool place. And then like a, a really cool view of the city up top when you get a you get a pint of Guinness and uh, in their gravity bar. So I would definitely recommend that to anyone who gets a chance. Not that's certainly not a unique recommendation, uh, but uh, it definitely was worth, worth the time and money to, to check that out. Um, 
As for the Hartman take, uh, I, I don't see any comparison between Drew Pine and Sam Hartman. I, I mean, I understand the statistical comparison, but like, what did any part of that look like Drew Pine to you? It did not look like Drew Pine to me. Um, and I don't. Sam Hartman has done these kinds of things before. Like this isn't the first time Sam Hartman has done that. So it's like you can expect him to do it again. Um, obviously you want to see it more and more with Notre Dame and they're going to play better defenses and be challenged in more ways. But sort of, I thought Sam Hartman was kind of the complete package of what you're, what Notre Dame was hoping for and looking for and did sort of everything that was asked of him um, in that game and uh, didn't allow Navy to get back into the game, which, which Drew Prine did. You know, for me, the bottom line numbers were similar, but you kind of look at the analytical numbers and you look behind the numbers. So for Sam Hartman, he got an 89.3 grade from Pro Football Focus, Drew Pine 78.7, which is still pretty good, but there's a difference there. But you look at how those how those numbers translated in the game. Drew Pine played really well for one half. And Notre Dame scored 35 points, and then they scored zero in the second half. And they needed to score more because Navy came back uh, from a 35-13 deficit, made it 35-32. He also, you know, took five sacks. Now, that's not all on him. That's a lot of that's on the offensive line. But when you watch the game, Sam Hartman knew how to slide protections better than Drew Pine. He also had the threat of the deep passing game, which made it more risky for Navy to do their all-out sellout with blitzes and uh, against the run, which they still did and, and weren't as successful with it. He knew where to go with the ball when he got blitzed. So there were zero sacks there. And I also think his prowess showed up in the running game with Notre Dame getting 191 yards rushing and six yards a carry mm-hmm. against a very similar personnel defense, nine starters back versus 66 yards on 34 carries uh, last year. So I think that's really where it showed up for me. All right. Last question we have is from at Notre Dame expert, which Notre Dame great would you like to share a Guinness with? Um, well, I presume that this is somebody who's still with us. Um, and then I started racking my brain and I thought, wait a second, I have had one and I would like to have another one. And it was Zibby at Tom Zibikowski. And this was back when he was early in his time at with the Baltimore Ravens. And I know Tommy has, um, we would probably have to have a Guinness Zero or a coffee these days. But we did an interview there at the hotel where Notre Dame was staying. The first thing when I met Tommy at the hotel, I was looking around for him. And Charlie Weiss was signing on. I was in the lobby. And Zibby's standing behind a Christmas tree or, or something heckling him. I don't know if it was a Christmas tree, but it was some object heckling him. He's like, Charlie Weiss, you're my favorite coach, you know, in a woman's voice. And then we went to the bar and we did our interview. And so when we were done with that, then we had some beer and Rayshon McNeil joined us. And the stories that came out of that conversation, which were all off the record once we got done doing the interview, 
are still some of the funniest stories I've ever heard in my life from anybody. And the, and then the kicker to all this was <laughs> these two young women thought I was Zibby's dad and they <laughs> asked my permission to speak with them. <laughs> Granted. That is funny. Um, and for those who aren't, haven't been tracking Tom Zibikowski, he is now uh, the safeties coach for Brown university. He has been t- uh trying to make his way into the football coaching world, spent last season as an analyst with Western Michigan um, and uh, was a podcast guest of ours not terribly long ago. So uh, good to see him continue to uh, further his coaching career in the Ivy League. And uh, I'm sure – Just had another baby recently. He'll be offering some good advice there. My, I mean, I think there's a lots of good answers available here. I went with Jerome Bettis. I think Jerome Bettis just seems like a great time – all the time. Uh, so I think just hanging out with him and getting stories from him and he seems to just be a, a fun personality. Uh, so I would opt for Jerome Bettis and uh, maybe, maybe that would give me some extra insight into the recruitment of Jerome Bettis jr. As well. All right. That is it for today's episode of the inside Indy sports podcast. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple podcasts, Spotify, Google podcasts, and other popular podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, you give us a star rating, Leave a review and share our podcast feed with the smartest Notre Dame fan you know. I hope you've enjoyed our current slate of audio and video offerings, both here in the podcast feed and over on YouTube. We've settled into a YouTube schedule with Football Never Sleeps every Monday. Uh, Place your bets every Friday before a game, as Eric was alluding to earlier, and a new post-game takeaways video for late Saturday, early Sunday. Um, And we'll continue to be here with podcasts for you every Tuesday throughout the season. I hope you all enjoy the home opener Saturday against Tennessee State. But until then, stick with InsideNDSports.com for all your Notre Dame coverage needs. (laughs) 